Great. Well, welcome to Life Point. Uh, my name is Alex Velarde. I'm one of the pastors here, and we are thrilled that you've joined us, whether it's here in person, online, or our Facebook page, our YouTube channel, uh, maybe our podcast later on. Welcome, 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 welcome. I'm really looking forward to studying God's Word with you. If you have your Bibles, turn to Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3, and we're going to look at a couple of stories today, but Genesis chapter 3 beginning verse 6 all the way to 13, okay? So Genesis chapter 3, verses 6 through 13. If you by any chance did not bring your Bible, uh, I want to encourage you to download the Bible app. It's a great way to follow along. You can pull out your, your phones and download the version app. It's a great way to connect with God's Word. And uh, you've heard me say it before, nothing will get you further, faster Spiritually speaking, nothing will get you further, faster than God's Word. So I can't do that for you. Uh, Only you can connect on a personal, intimate level with God and His Word. And so I want to encourage you to to do that. Most of the verses uh, will be on the screen today, so you're you're good. Genesis chapter 3, verse 6 through 11. Verse 6 through 11. So I want to take a second to thank all the people that communicated, all of our communicators the last three weeks. Um, they did a great job. Man, let's put our hands together for um, the last three weeks. I, um, I have had three weeks of, of messages ready for you. So today our message is going to be pretty short. It's going to be about three hours. So you're good. Um, no, you guys are safe because we got another service. So you guys are good. Um, but Genesis chapter 3, verses 6 through 13. Okay, I want to say something as we begin. I want you to pay attention to it. The Bible teaches that whenever we have an opportunity to learn from someone else's mistake, we should take it. In other words, smart people learn from their mistakes, right? Like there's nobody perfect. We all make mistakes. We we should learn from our mistakes. But really, really smart people not only learn from their own mistakes, they also learn from the mistakes of other people. And so, in, in 1 Corinthians, Paul actually takes it, takes it as far as to say that everything that's in the Bible, everything that you see in the Old Testament, all of the stories, all of the lessons, they're there, they're mistakes that have been recorded so that we, to prevent us from making those mistakes. In 1 Corinthians, uh, the verse that I'm talking about, let's put it up on the screen, says this, now these things took place as These things took place as examples for us. They're examples for us. Next verse, it says, they were written down. They were written down. And at the time, like, it wasn't like, like, to write something down took effort, okay? It wasn't like today, you just send a little text and you write it down, or you just get a piece of paper and you write it down. No, at the time, this was, this cost people's lives, But God is saying here, they were written down for our what? Our instructions to help us out. So smart people learn from their mistakes. Really smart people, they learn from other people's mistakes. And what I want to do today is I want us to look at a couple of Old Testament stories. And I want to share with you what God has been teaching me. So look at this message more of like, this is what God has been teaching Alex. This is not, I'm just going to, I'm going to share with you and I hope that it helps you. 
okay? But I really want you to know, like, the heart behind the message is something like God gave it to me. I, uh, you know, I took three weeks from preaching, and so I went away like a miniature sabbatical, just alone by myself, camping, went on like a 14-day, 14-mile hike, and the next morning, all alone, by myself, I don't have to preach, I don't have to prepare a message, God gave me this, and it was powerful, and so I just want you to know, for me, for me, it was powerful, maybe it won't be as powerful for you, but for me, it was, it was life-changing, and, um, and so what I want to do today is I want to share a couple of stories from the Old Testament about the hazards of deflecting personal responsibility. The hazards, the dangers of deflecting personal responsibility. Lee and I, we were talking the other day about our marriage. And, you know, we, we, I was telling her, we're so blessed. We have a great, I mean, the, this church... Our leadership, our core leadership, our elders, I mean, they back us up. They pray for us. Uh, her boss, a UT Tyler, is an amazing, best boss you could ever ask for. Um, you know, totally, uh, she's, she's totally for her. And I said, look, we have been so blessed. We have family that love us, and they encourage us. And so I know, I get that life is hectic, and it's messy. And, you know, it's, 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 it's sometimes... It's hard to do life, right? Like, you see me here on the stage, but I'm a human being. Uh, we struggle in our relationship as well. You know, we've been married 20 years. Um, 20 years. 20 years, I'd say, that we should give it up for, for my wife. Um, and, um, and so we were talking about our relationship, how we can make it better and all of that. And I said, like, we should, like, we have no excuse not to get this thing right, this thing that we call life. I mean, we really don't. Like, as long as we evaluate, right? As long as we evaluate our marriage, as long as we evaluate our, our parenting, our priorities, and, and adjust, right? Because there's times when we just kind of get off track. But I said we shouldn't, we don't have an, like, we, as long as we take responsibility, we should be able to do this, okay? And... Um, I say that to say this. A lot of times in life, things come our way, and we just don't take responsibility. We deflect, and we come up with excuses, okay? And I remember when I was a teenager, um, I 16-year-old boy, one of my responsibilities was to mow the grass, okay? And I... I have never, I had, before that, I had to water the plants, and I remember having to get a, a, a gallon of water and pour it on the plants, and the, it would get on the dirt, and it would splash, and it ended up on my face, and I hated it. I've always hated it. My kids think I love mowing my yard and all of that. I've changed a little bit, but I used to hate it. And as a 16-year-old, man, mowing the grass was like, it was not the top, it was not at the forefront of what I had to do, okay? Like, it was not one of my top uh, priorities. And so, I remember one summer afternoon, I took our push mower, and, and I was supposed to mow, and I was just getting the, trying to get the thing done with, and, you know, as quick as I could, and I may have or may have not, and I'm only saying it like that because my parents may be watching, I may have or may have not, you know, they had this beautiful, like, monkey grass, kind of, I think I, I have a picture, not of it, but you know, kind of like that, right next to the grass, and I may have or may have not taking that push mower 
And yes, <laughs> you know, like I was just mowing the yard and all of a sudden, you know, whoops. <laughs> I may have or may have not chopped down some monkey grass, decapitated the monkey grass. Now, let me ask you a question. Why is it that we have such a, why do we, why, why do people deflect responsibility? Let me make it more personal. Why do we, at times, deflect personal responsibility? Let's, let's look at it. Genesis 3. Watch this. God gives us tremendous insight. The story of Adam and Eve, when they disobeyed God, it says this, verse 6. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the, what? To the eyes. Okay, keep that in mind because a lot of our temptations come through what we see, what we're focusing on. Did you know that? Like I could be, I mean, I could be having a great day. I feel fulfilled. I feel like I'm a, man, I'm a good dad. I'm a good, I'm a good parent. I'm a good whatever, you know, and I'm watching TV and then an Oreo ad shows up. And I'm looking at this Oreo ad, and I'm like, this is like the best thing. I love Oreos, by the way. And I'm like, they're selling me these Oreos. And all of a sudden, I go to the pantry, and there's, there are no Oreos in our pantry. How could that be? You know? And then all of a sudden, I'm like, man, I need an Oreo. And if I don't have an Oreo, I'm depressed, you know? Most of our temptations, most of our temptations come through what we are focusing on. So... Eve, so it says, when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes, you, have, you, have, you and I have to be careful. The quickest way to the heart is through our eyes. Do you know that? The quickest way to your heart is through your eyes. And wherever your eyes go, the heart follows. So watch this. I mean, it was a delight to the eye, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise. She took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they, were, they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves and, together and made coverings for themselves. Verse 8. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? Where are you? And he said, Adam said, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid and, and I was naked and I hid myself. And he said, "Who?" two questions. God's going to ask, okay? Two questions. Very simple, but I want you to pay attention to them. Who told you that you were naked? First question. And then the second question, have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? Two simple questions, right? Now, I want you to notice a reaction. The man said, the woman whom you gave to be with me. Some of you guys are laughing. I don't think Eve was laughing. She gave me fruit from the tree and I ate. Now, I, I want to break this down for a minute, okay? So the two questions, right? Like, like he's, he's asking, like, why, like, who told you you were naked? Like, what, what's, you know, have you, have you eaten of it, right? That's a simple question. First, he says, the woman. He's not really answering the question. Have you eaten of it? No. Like, first things, the woman. Whom you 
gave to be with me. Not only is he not asking the question now, he's deflecting. She gave me fruit. In other words, I have no option. She forced it on me, you know? Just like a mom forces that little spoon on the baby's mouth, you know, and then it splatters all over their mouth, right? No, 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 Adam, you could have said no. She, the woman you gave me, she gave it to me, and then I had no option. I had to eat. And so what Adam is doing is what we often do is he's pointing fingers. He's deflecting. And since God had said, think about this, God had said, if you eat of it, you will surely die. What he's doing, this is a pronouncement of death on Eve. It's not just anything, because God says, you will surely die. And rather than being a man and covering for his wife, no, he's like, he's deflecting, he's pointing fingers. This was a declaration, a formal declaration of her death. So much for a loving husband, right? Now look at the next verse. Eve quickly learned from Adam. She followed his lead. Verse 13, then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you have done? So God is wanting Eve to own it, to own her mistake. But and like he's being very pointed. What is this? The question changes. He's not asking like, who told you? No, no, no. He's like, what is this that you have done? And the woman said, similar to Adam, the serpent deceived me and I ate. She covers up. She, she's trying to hide. They're both pointing fingers. They're shifting blame. They fail to accept responsibility. So the question is, why do we deflect? Why do we deflect when we're confronted? Why do we do that? Well, I was thinking about this, and sometimes we do it because we think that refusing to accept responsibility can free us from the consequences, from the negative consequences of our mistakes and our choices. So if we refuse, we think like maybe, maybe we'll, we'll get off the hook. Like maybe we, you know, like we, we won't have to pay for the consequences, the negative consequences. For example, the law says you are innocent until proven. Do you know it? You're innocent until, help me out, church. You're innocent until proven guilty. So guilty people sometimes will use the system to fight for acquittal. Guilty people sometimes are declared not guilty when they have blood in their hands. So a lot of it is just our culture, the way we, the way we're like the culture we're born into. It's a politician who who lies, who would rather lie than to get reelected rather than taking responsibility. And so it's our culture teaches us from the moment that we're born, and in our culture we resent the teacher who caught us cheating. And the teacher knows that you were cheating, but they'll still ask, were, were you cheating? And then we get upset that they caught us. In our culture, we resent the police officer who pulled us because we didn't stop, a full stop at the stop sign, and we just kind of rolled and gives us a ticket. We resent that. We resent the, uh, the IRS when they're exploring into our illegal deductions. We resent our pastors when they preach God's word and they preach about sin and they confront you with sin. All of a sudden, the pastor, I don't like that pastor because he's confronting me. And here's the danger. Here's the danger. I brought a little shovel, okay? Here's the danger with deflecting responsibility. All of us carry a shovel, okay? All of us in life, in this thing that, in this journey of life, this thing that we call life, all of us carry a little shovel. And with a shovel, you can either dig holes 
You can dig your own hole. Have you, ever, have you ever dug your own hole and you're like, oh, how do I get out of this? And then you do something and it actually gets you in more trouble than the first thing. Yeah, so we can dig holes or you can build things. Like with this, this very shovel, we spent, my three kids and I and my wife spent three or four days, they may say it was longer, but a, a few days building the foundation to our pool. And it was brutal. We had like so many thousands of pounds that we had of, of, of sand that we had to move. This shovel represents your choices. This shovel represents when you take responsibility for your relationships with your wife or your husband. Or when you take responsibility with your kids. When you take responsibility to offer forgiveness to someone. When you give someone grace, even though they don't deserve it, right? That's what grace is. This shovel represents your words. When you use your words to build someone or when you use your words to put them down. And here's the thing with shovels. Nobody in here would dare say, you know what? I don't ever dig holes in my own life. No, I think most of us would agree, like, no perfect people alive. That's what we say as a church, right? Like, we all dig our holes. Like, Adam, Adam just set the stage for the rest of humanity. But if you look at the rest of us, like, we don't have a really good track record of dealing with sin, right? We usually deflect. And so, so my challenge to you is, are, are you going to use your shovel to build or are you going to use it to dig yourself into a hole? When you find yourself into a little hole, are you going to use it to get out and then keep going and start building something? Or are you, are you going to come up with, with excuses? Now look at, look at the verse. Romans 5, 19. The key is personal responsibility. Look at verse 19. Because one person disobeyed God. Who is that? It's Adam, okay? I'm just giving you a little bit of theology. Because one person disobeyed God, many became sinners. So he, st- he set the stage for the rest of humanity. All right? But the verse doesn't end there. It continues and it says, But because one other person obeyed God, who is that? That's Christ, that's Jesus. Many will be made righteous. And I love what Ignacio said earlier. He says, he's coming after you. He's pursuing you. He wants you to fall in love with him. He wants you to walk in his ways. But guess what? If you keep turning the wrong way, if you keep saying no to him, he he respects you enough to say, okay. And he backs off. Our God doesn't push through your doors and kick. He doesn't do that. He offers you grace, but it's up to you and to me. It's up to us to, to say, okay, Lord, I get it. I get the message nice and clear. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to own it. I'm going to take responsibility in my own life. And so here's the thing that you and I have to understand. Like God is not shocked by our sin. Do you know that? The stuff that nobody knows, like the stuff, the thoughts that you have, the bitterness. And, and you know, I, I'm just saying one thing, but whatever it is, like, like the, the things that you hide, like God, God's not like, oh my goodness, I cannot, so, I cannot believe so-and-so was thinking that, right? It's, it's the same as a, like a police officer being surprised when somebody's speeding. No, like they know it's, it's, that's what we, like 
right? Like a ref being surprised when somebody, in, a player, um, uh, fouls someone in the opposing team. They're not surprised. Like if, they, if, if that never happened, they would, you wouldn't need a police officer. You wouldn't need a, a ref. In basketball, it used to be that when the, when the ref blew their, their whistle, like you would raise your hand and say, man, my bad, that was my, I'm sorry. Now, like the, the ref blows her whistle and like we raise the fist and we argue and it's in front of thousands of people with the, te- the you know, technology we have on cameras. You can do the slow motion thing, but we still like, complain. It's the culture we live in. We deflect, we deflect. And so here's, here's what I wanna kind of bring the message into focus, okay? Here's the one point that I, wanna, I want you to remember. So this week, next week, when you're going out and doing your life, there's one, just one, one message, one point to the message, and it's this. Let's put it on the screen. Here's a challenge. I want you to learn to own your mess. Own it. At LifePoint, one of our core values, it's on humility. It, we say it like this. We fess up when we mess up. Let's practice. Can we all say it together? We fess up when we mess up. One more time. We fess there you go own own it own your mess own your mess what I want to do for the rest of our time we have about 14 minutes I want to give you a real life example of what I'm talking about okay and I want to give you one more illustration from the Old Testament another story so the first one it's a story somebody who's here in our church right now and she owned her mess. And I want you to hear her story. And then we'll look at the Old Testament story and we'll wrap it up, okay? So, we ready? Let's go. A couple of years ago, I felt the Lord telling me that it was time to stop drinking. And I didn't want to. And I didn't know what that would look like. And I was scared of what it would mean for my relationships social relationships, my friendships. Um, I've always been the fun friend and I've always been not a party girl, but I've, I've always been the life of the party and I was worried that if that was gone that I wouldn't be anymore. But I would come to church and we would be worshiping and I would feel the Lord telling me like, okay, it's time to stop. You need to stop drinking. You need to stop drinking wine, specifically wine. Um, and finally in October of 2019, I was done. And, um, I remember I had to go pick my husband up from the airport. He had been out of town. And so the night before that I had drank wine with some girlfriends and I wasn't feeling very good the next day. And I had to drive to Dallas and the whole way there, the Lord was like, okay, you're done. You're done. Let's move on. So I picked Justin up and I said, I think I'm I think I'm done with alcohol for a while. And I wouldn't say that I wasn't ever going to drink again because I, I don't like absolutes, but I knew in my heart that it was different. Um, that there was a change happening. And so I remember it was like two weeks later we were at Life Group and I shared with them that I was done and that was weird because you had to be very vulnerable and it's hard to share with the people that you're doing life with that there was a problem. Um, 
but it wasn't a problem like I wasn't drinking all day, I wasn't hiding it, I wasn't like, I didn't have alcohol in my car, um, but it was in the evening, I wanted a glass of wine, and then I wanted another glass of wine, and then the bottle would be gone, and that would be it, and then the next day it would be the same. So after that, um, I realized that the culture around me had been had been okay with it. Like it's the mommy wine culture that you read about. The once you like something on social media, like the the mommy needs vodka Facebook page. If you like one of their funny things, well then it it shows up all the time, and then you think everybody's doing the same thing and you think that's just normal. It's normal for in the evenings for a mom to drink wine. And it's normal for in the evenings a mom to drink a lot of wine, but it's not. Um, but it was still affecting my life. It was affecting my decisions. It was affecting the way I parented or didn't parent. It was affecting my relationship with my husband um, and my business because as soon as six o'clock hit and I was making dinner, I was having a glass of wine, which meant I wasn't available to my clients anymore. And so that part of it has been huge for me, knowing that, especially my older daughter who's 16, knowing that she sees the difference in me as a mom where before I was disconnected and now I'm not. And now I'm involved, I know what's happening in her world and I'm engaged and that's pretty cool. Through all of this, God has shown me that he'll clean up my mess. Um, I can bring it to him and he'll give me the tools to clean it up. He doesn't do the work for me, but he gives me those tools. And so um, even since then, uh, you know, you, you quit one thing and then you find something else to, to create an issue with. And so... Um, I had gained quite a bit of weight because when I quit drinking, I started eating candy and I stopped working out. And so I had gained like 60 pounds and um, God put someone else in my path to help me through that. And through each of those seasons, like you pray for it and the tools are given to you to, to get out of it. And the people that God puts in your path are there to help you through it and to hold you accountable and to lift you up when you fall down and to say like, it's okay I'll drink seltzer with you too, or you don't have to feel awkward about this. It's fine. And I think that's the biggest thing is like just leaning on the people around me has been huge. Um, my name is Ryan, and this is my story. You know, I, um, it's not easy. It's not easy to tell your story in front of a bunch of people, a bunch of strangers because this is going online as well not just here uh, let's give it up for Ryan one more time man that was good she she owned it she owned it she owned her mess and her life got better and so the the issue is not whether we sin or not we're all going to sin we're all going to mess up we're going to dig holes the issue is whether we readjust the issue is whether we're, what we're going to do with the shovel right 
Once we find ourselves in a hole, what are you going to do? Are you going to climb out and build your life? Or are you going to just keep digging in the wrong direction? And so I love, I love her story because it's, it's the heartbeat of life point. That's why we say no perfect people allowed. Now, it doesn't mean that we're, we're not, we're just, ah, you know, whatever. We're going to take advantage of a God's grace and we're just going to live however. No, no. What that means is that, like, we're all screwed up. We're all, we all need God's grace. And so I love that story because it represents who we are as a church. Now, I want to I finish. We just have a few more minutes by giving you another story. It's a story from the Old Testament, okay? It's a, it's a tale of two kings, King David and King Saul. And so I think it illustrates the point that I'm making today. They're both kings of Israel. Saul was the first king of Israel, so he was destined for fame. He was supposed to have an incredible legacy. He was the nation's first leader. I mean, he was just like George Washington. He was supposed to be respected and admired and remembered and like supposed to be like one of the greatest leaders, right? But Saul disobeyed God. Now, let me tell you the story real quick. Uh, God came to Saul and he said, first king of Israel, he said, I want you to get rid of all the Amalekites. And I'm not going to get into all this story. Amalekites were wicked people. So we, I couldn't even share with you some of the stuff, some of their practices, okay? He says, I want you to get rid of them, uh, like all of them. Don't, do not save anybody. Eliminate the Amalekites. It's, it's, it's like they're my enemies, is what God says, okay? And, and, um, and Saul keeps the king. He doesn't, and then he keeps the spoils. He keeps the animals, and so God sends the man of God, Samuel, at the time and confronts Saul. And Saul begins to come up with one excuse after the next. So oh, it wasn't me, it was the army, and it was this, and it was that. I want you to look at the verses, and I'm going I'm to speed up because of time real quick. First Samuel 15, 13. When Samuel, Samuel is the man of God, finally found him, found, found Saul, the king, first king of Israel, um, uh, Saul greeted him cheerfully, and he says, May the Lord bless you. He said, I've carried out the Lord's command. Not true. Because partial obedience is disobedience. Verse 14. Then Samuel says this. Then what's all the bleeding of sheep and goats and lowing of cattle out here? So they had, Saul had brought all, from war, he brought all the spoil, all of the animals. And so Samuel is confronting Saul. So he's like, then what, what's all these cattle noise that I hear? Verse 15. It's true. This is Saul speaking, the king. It's true that the army, the army, spare the best of the sheep and goats and cattle. Saul admitted. But they're going to sacrifice them to the Lord, your God. We've destroyed everything else. You see that? He's not taking personal responsibility. He's just blaming the army. Verse 18, Samuel says to him, The Lord sent you on a mission and told you, Go and, let's, next, next slide. Next slide. Go and completely destroy the sinners, the Amalekites, until they're all dead. Now, if you back up in verse 3, God gets like real specific. Like he says, he says, men, women, children, babies, cattle, sheep, goats, camels, donkeys. Like he's naming everything. Like there was no, there was no room for like excuses. God was very specific in the command. And so Samuel says, why haven't you obeyed the Lord? Why did you rush for the, for the plunder and do what was evil in this, the Lord's sight? Now watch his response, verse 20. He says, but I did obey, Saul insisted. 
I carried out the mission he gave me. And watch the, what's the next, next uh, sentence? I brought back King Agag. So like he's, I don't even, I think he must have believed his own lie. He's like, I did do it. No, you didn't. And the animals, there, we're going to use the animals for, for, you know, for, to sacrifice. No, you didn't. Partial obedience is disobedience. Now, I'm, I'm going fast, okay? You fast forward the story. And the crown is given, it's taken from Saul and given to King David. Remember King David? King David, probably one of the greatest, the, if not the greatest king Israel had. Now, the thing is, King David was also, he was a sinner. He was a royal sinner, you could say. Like, like he was, he made some mistakes. And let me tell you the story real quick. Some of you already know it. So one day, he's hanging out in his palace, the rooftop of his palace. It's this beautiful girl, and he lusts after her. He's got power. He's got resources. So he sends his people to go to Bathsheba and says, come on, the king wants to see you. So Bathsheba comes to David. While everybody else is at war. And he seduces her. They sleep. They have they commit adultery. She was a married woman, okay? And what does David do? David goes into this, this whole campaign of, of cover-ups, okay? And so he begin she gets pregnant, okay? So he begins to try to cover his tracks. So the first step, the first thing he does is he calls Uriah. Uriah is Bathsheba's husband, comes over from from uh, war from battle and he's thinking David is thinking if I have him come over maybe he'll sleep with his wife and then when the baby's born I'm off the hook and now everybody's going to think that was Uriah because he came for a few days and slept with his wife with his wife and so the the plan backfire because Uriah comes home he's a man of integrity and he does not sleep with his wife in fact the Bible says that he was outside her her house on the well he slept on the welcome mat because he's thinking, how can my men be, you know, how can I enjoy the pleasures of home when my men are at war? And so David is trying to, trying to cover everything up. Uriah goes back to war. David secretly sends a message to his commander and says, put Uriah in a place, vulnerable place. Uriah ends up dying. Okay, I hope you're, I know I'm going super fast. I hope you're tracking. So you have King Saul and you have King David. Both kings, both made huge mistakes. Why is it then that the Bible calls King David a man after my own heart? Because to me, it seems a little bit hypocritical. Why? I mean, why is it like God doesn't say anything like that about Saul? I mean, and when you look at it, at least Saul like obeyed partially, right? Get rid of the Amalekites. He got rid of everybody except for the king and the animals. I mean, that's in my mind, in my human eyes, it's like that's better. You know, David, like, he looks, he lusts, he seduces, he tries to cover it up, you know, he, and, so what's up? What's the, what's the deal? Here's, here's the deal. When God sends Samuel, the man of God, to confront Saul, Saul comes up with one excuse after the next. Oh, it was the army. Oh, we're going to sacrifice the animals for the Lord. Oh, it wasn't me. Oh, I killed everybody. I did, I did, I did. Except for the king and this and that. Excuse, one excuse after the next. Years later, when David is king, after he had sinned, God's also going to give David a chance, just like he did with Saul. And he's going to send a, another man of God, Nathan. He's going to send him to them. And Nathan is going to 
confront David. And I want you to see, don't miss this, don't miss this. I want you to see what David does, okay? I'm going to ask our band to come up on stage, and I'm going to put the verses on the screen. This is from Psalm 32, verse 1. This is so, please do not miss this, okay? If you miss it, you're going to miss the whole message, okay? Watch this. This is what David wrote after he's confronted about his sin. Watch this. Oh, what joy for those whose disobedience is forgiven, whose sin is put out of sight. Verse 2. Yes, what joy. In case you didn't hear it, let me just say it again. What joy for those whose record the Lord has not cleared of guilt, has, has cleared of guilt, excuse me, whose lives are lived in complete honesty. When you try to cover up, guess what happens? You're not living in honesty. You are in a prison. You're in a prison. You know, I want to be freed. You're not freed. Like you're, you're tied to your sin. Watch this, verse 3. When I refused to confess my sin, my body wasted away, and I groaned all day long. Because that's what happens when you try to come up with excuses. That's what happens. My body wasted away. I groaned all day long. Verse 4. Day and night, your hand of discipline was heavy on me. My strength evaporated like water in the summer heat. I can totally understand, like my water, like the pool, the water at, the, at our pool, like continually goes down in the summer, okay? And that's what he's saying, like my strength shh, evaporating because I'm trying to work things out. I'm trying to hide my sin. I'm deflecting responsibility to everybody else. Finally, verse five, finally, whew, I confess all my sins to you. And stopped trying to hide my guilt. And I said to myself, I will confess my rebellion to the Lord and you forgave me and my guilt is gone. The difference between Saul and David, between Adam and Eve, is that when they were all four of them confronted with the truth of God's word, only David said, I'm sorry, God. They all try to, try to, we all do it. It's part of humanity. But when God comes to you and he tells you, and it's not the preacher, let me, let me make sure I don't, it's not the preacher that convicts you. It's the Holy Spirit. I never, Ryan is in my life group. I not once did I ever tell Ryan not to drink. Not once. Because I believe the power of the Spirit of God is, I don't have to do that. I, just, I can just preach God's word and the Spirit of God will convict us. And when the Spirit said, hey, it's time, she owned her mess. David, you're a man after my own heart. Not because you're perfect, but because when you were confronted, you confessed. So with heads bowed and eyes closed, I'm just curious. And you're not praying to me. This is between you and the Lord. But I'm just, I guess I get to ask the question, is there sin in your life? 
Is there pride? Are there holes that you're digging, that you've been digging? Is there, is there, are there any messes that you've made that you need to own? The Spirit of God is already speaking to you. Don't say no. If you say no long enough, God will say, okay, I respect you. Here's what I challenge you to do. Confess it. Confession is just saying, God, I agree with you. Thank God for it. Thank God that, that he's not holding it against you. The Bible says he's faithful and just to forgive us of all of our sin. So, so thank, thank him that he restores our relationship with him. Confess it. Thank him. Ask him for, for strength. And then find someone to keep you accountable. Find a friend to help you. Because God knows life is hard. Find someone that will hold you accountable. That will ask the difficult questions. So is there sin in your life? Is there pride? Is God speaking to you? Confess it. Thank God for the fact that he forgives you. Ask him for strength. Find someone to keep you accountable. Whether you're here in the room or watching online, if you want help, if you want to continue the conversation, just text the word Jesus to our phone number. Okay? Just text the word Jesus. We're not going to judge you. We're not going to point fingers. We're going to love you. I believe that there are people watching right now. And I believe this message is for you. And I believe for those of you who are in the room, I believe that God is not done with you. He's just getting started. Father God, we thank you so much, Lord, that you have helped us by writing down all of these stories. All of these stories, God, and all of these mistakes. Help us to be smart, God, really smart, and learn from them. God, what an example we have from Adam and Eve and David and Saul and Ryan, God. Father, we ask you that, that you would forgive us where there needs to be forgiveness. God, we ask you that you would, that you would help us we're in areas where we need help, Lord. God, I pray that you would bring people into our church, and whether it's through a life group or whether it's just a connection, wherever it's, it's abroad, wherever it is, God, I pray that you would put people around us that will help us to, to where we can put an arm around one another and we can pray for one another. God, we want to be people after your own heart. We have all the tools. We thank you for the decisions that are being made right now, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's all stand.